Okay. Hello and welcome to the Sport Professor Podcast, the show for the sports student and fan who wants to learn more about the underpinnings of the sporting world. I'm your professor, Dr. Drew Sikansky, and today we will dive into the biggest baseball scandal in years, the Houston Astros and Seingate. With our guest host, Samantha Fisher, we will begin with a discussion of the MLB Commissioner Report and move to talk about how the Astros were stealing signs and relaying them to batters. We will then talk about the ethics of the actions and if what took place truly violates the rules of baseball and if it should be considered cheating. So, if you ever wondered why the Astros are being punished for something that has been an accepted part of the game for over 100 years, or what the ripple effects of this scandal will be in baseball, then this is the podcast for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of... The Sport Professor Podcast. Today, we are going to be joined by the Assistant General Manager for the Asheville Tourist, an individual that we've had on in the past as well, named Samantha Fisher. But before we bring her on, we first need to begin the conversation by setting the table to make sure that we're all on the same page and truly understand what cheating is. But in order to do that, we have to provide some context. So one of the big aspects of sports that we love is what we call this central comparative purpose. In other words, why do we have sports? And the idea behind sports in general, in the kind of macro view, is that we are trying to establish who has the best something, whatever that something might be. So in baseball, who's the best at hitting the ball and throwing the ball? In basketball, who's the best at shooting a ball through a hoop? In running, it's, it's more simple. Who's the fastest at running a certain distance? That's the purpose of sport from that macro view. However, and this is where cheating can come in, Sometimes we do have a worse team that wins, and this could happen for different reasons. You know, I'm, I always go back to uh, the Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Giants. The best team didn't win in that game, in, in my opinion. I think the Patriots were by far the better team. But sometimes the best team doesn't play the best that day, or someone might have an unbelievable performance and underdogs can win. And when that happens as fans, we're upset about it, we're accepting of it. I'm upset that the Patriots lost still all these years later, but I understand that that's part of sports. What we don't accept, and this is where the cheating comes in, is when the sport fails to establish or the outcome fails to establish who the better athlete is or who the better person is at that skill. And the reason that that person didn't win is because someone is violating the rules of the game. And this can go to like a referee making a bad call or an umpire making a bad call or when someone cheats, when someone purposefully violates the rules in order to gain an advantage. So that's kind of the interesting thing with this is we have a situation. We actually have the situation over there's questions all the way from 2017 really up to, to this year, even though the report kind of pokes a hole in some of it. Um, but there's questions of, did the best team win in baseball those years? And this report, and I think one of the reasons people are so upset about this, is because the fans don't know. And the fans are really questioning that. 
So this idea of cheating, which we define cheating in ethics as an attempt to break the rules of a game while escaping detection and punishment. This idea that maybe the Astros were attempting to break the rules without being detected and punished in order to gain some type of advantage really hits home with fans. I think it's the reason that this has kind of exploded up and actually made baseball in the offseason before pitchers and catchers have even reported such a national topic. So with kind of that basic background, I think we should kind of dive into what exactly happened here. So let me quickly provide some setting for what was going on. In 2017, Major League Baseball instituted instant replay to the game, just like many other sports had in years before. The point of instant replay was to allow the managers to challenge certain calls on the field to make sure that the outcome or the call from the referee or umpire was correct. They were trying to, in other words, uphold this central comparative purpose that we're talking about. Now, in order to do this, teams put cameras in their stadiums and had replay rooms put in their stadiums as well, where the feeds from those cameras were sent down to the replay rooms and coaches could then call the replay room and ask the personnel working there if the call in the field was correct or not. It was a way for the coach to know whether or not they should challenge the play on the field. The issue that we ran into in 2017 was individuals and teams were using that replay room not to know whether or not they should challenge calls, but to look at the signals that the catcher was giving to the pitcher to decode those signs in order to give their team a competitive advantage. In baseball, we have a system where the catcher will use signals to inform the pitcher what pitch to throw. So they might put down a one finger and point to their left to signal to the pitcher they want a fastball to their left. And those signals are supposed to be between those two individuals. Now, teams might try to learn what those signals are because if I know what pitch is coming, as a batter, I have a much better chance to hit it. Think of it this way. If I think a 100-mile-an-hour fastball is coming and someone really throws me an 80-mile-an-hour changeup, I'm not going to be ready for that slower pitch, and I'm going to swing and probably be way in front of the ball and miss it. However, if I know that that 80-mile-an-hour pitch is coming and I look for it, then I have a much better chance to make contact and hit it. Well, it turns out, that what the Astros were doing is they were using a camera in center field that had a live feed down to the replay room to look at those signals from the catcher to the pitcher. They had people in the replay room stationed that were decoding those signs. They would look at the sign and then see what pitch was thrown. And through doing that, you can tell what sign equals what pinch. And then they were relaying that information to the managers and to the players to give them a competitive advantage. So that's the context. Now, maybe Sam, maybe you can jump in here now and let me know if there's anything that I missed or provide a little bit even more background, maybe beginning with this topic of sign stealing in general and then moving to talk about what the Astros did. Sure. So, you know, sign stealing has kind of always been one of those unwritten rules. A, a pitcher tips their pitches or a catcher isn't hiding their signs or we're not switching it up enough. You know, if that battery is kind of not on the same page and we are, we can pick up on what's to come, you know, that's 
that's what science doing is, you know, what, what pitch is coming. Um, even if you want to take it on the up, opposite side, if you think, you know, you can pick up on batting specific signs. I mean, there's, there's a number of different signs you can feel, mm-hmm. you know, where, where we ran into an issue here is that the Houston Astros were using a camera positioned in center field to steal signs during games. Yeah. They kind of took it a step further by having the live TV feed put on a TV that was in between the clubhouse and the dugout. So, you know, a very attainable feed to watch during a game. Um, They were picking up on signs and then relaying those signs to batters. You know, at first it's kind of blurry on exactly how they were relaying the signs, but it's come out pretty clearly that they were using a trash can. Um, they're being on a trash can to relay these signs to batters. Yeah, even before that, and this is where other individuals are specifically named, like Alex Cora, was getting yeah. the signs sent to him from the replay room into his watch. And yeah. then he was then he was relaying it. But mm-hmm. it brings up this interesting aspect of technology has done so much to advance sports and, and a lot of people argue for the better. But here we have a situation where Technology is actually the root of this problem because before technology, as you said, like sign stealing is kind of an unwritten rule in baseball. It's okay. And the report actually says sign stealing is legal, but you just can't use technology. And that's the Astros introduced this technology where they were using these cameras to relay a live feed to a room where they were decoding signs which in all honesty is not hard there's actually mm-hmm. um there's an app on your phone you can download to, to decode signs <laughs> and then they were using apple watches which in 2017 when this first occurred the red sox i'm sure you remember this because i remember when it happened because it was red sox Yankees series the yankees yep. accused the red sox of doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. and the red sox were like yeah we were and they were fine <laughs> and that was kind of it most people don't realize right. or remember the Yankees were also fined because they mm-hmm. were doing the same thing, except they weren't using Apple Watches. They were just calling in to where the the video was, and they were being told the signs. Right. So a lot of people were doing this and using technology to kind of skirt around this unwritten rule. But then, it, like you said, it goes to the next level when they start banging on trash cans, relay the signs to the hitters. You know... I was just going to say, I mean, I think, and, and this, I'm probably taking you back like a minute, but I, I just think that there's a difference between capitalizing on human error, you know, picking up tip pitches, yeah. you know, picking up signs from a catcher. But there's also a difference between then capitalizing on the competitive advantage you get by using a video camera to do so. You know, that's, that's where, to me, there's no gray line. It just, in, in whether it's the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Astros, like, there's just no gray line there. Which, I mean, okay, I guess there wasn't something printed in the Major League Baseball Constitution at the time ruling out, you know, electronics. But the commissioner put out a memo in 2017 that said, this is against the rules. You'll be held accountable. Don't do it. And people continued to do it. That's kind of where my issue is. Yeah, and I I think that's a great point because baseball, one of the reasons I love it and you probably love it is it has all these unwritten rules. You know, if you throw at my star mm-hmm. player, I'm going to throw at your star player. It's kind of an accepted part of the game. It's it's what we would call a mm-hmm. convention. It's not in the rules. And actually some rules might say you shouldn't do it, but it's accepted part of the game. Sign ceiling has been that forever. Player on second, 
picks up the signs that the catcher's putting down. They might put their right hand down on their right knee to signal the pitch is going to the outside for a left-handed hitter. So right. that's part of the game. But the insertion of technology kind of brings in this gray hair. But you mentioned Major League Baseball didn't have a rule specifically saying that. And then they released a memo after the Yankees complained about the Red Sox. And here's what that memo said. It says, at the outset, it is important to understand that the attempts to decode signs being used by an opposing catcher is not a violation of any Major League Baseball rule or regulation. Major League Baseball regulations do, however, prohibit the use of electronic equipment during games and state that no such equipment may be used for the purpose of stealing signs or conveying information designed to give the club an advantage. Despite this clear regulation, the prevalence of technology, especially the technology used in the replay rooms, has made it increasingly difficult to monitor appropriate and inappropriate use of electronic equipment. Based on the investigation by my office, meaning the, the office of the commissioner, I have nonetheless concluded that the 2017 season, the Red Sox violated the regulation quoted above by sending electronic communication from their video room to the athletic trainer in the dugout. So Major League Baseball is saying, it. this is where it's acceptable, here's where the line is, and they come out and they punish the Red Sox. And like I said, they also punish the Yankees. Mm -hmm. The really crazy thing, as you said, like this is issued in the middle of the 2017 season. And they go on to say that if you are caught doing this, I'm holding the GMs and the managers accountable. I'm not holding the players accountable, I'm holding the people in charge accountable. The Astros get this memo, and it, later in the report, the owner actually says to the general manager, hey, we want to make sure we are not doing this, and they still continue to do it. And they actually right. became even more brazen, and that's when they start hitting the trash cans to try to signal what pitches are coming. The part that gets even upsetting to more and more people, and I'm assuming maybe even you as a Yankees fan, they go on in 2017 to win the World Series. Yeah. You know, it was 2017 that, you know, they had that, what was it, 101 win season, mm -hmm. I think it was. You know, who says they win? Who says they win 101 games this year? You know, who says they have the home field advantage while you move through the playoffs? I mean, who says you have an MVP after that season? There's just so much that gets put in question yeah. by, you know, the fact that they continue to do it even after it was made. I mean, the line was drawn in the sand that this was not an okay thing to do you know you cannot you cannot gain a competitive advantage by stealing signs and technology that was clear and concise in my opinion yeah and major league baseball they issue this this statement that i just read in 2017 after the red sox get caught they then in the off season told clubs that they were changing some of their policy because because of the insertion of replay rules into baseball there's a replay room in every a major league baseball stadium yep. and there's a phone in the dugout that the manager can use to call down to the replay room to ask essentially should we replay this or not well what the yankees were doing and what initially the astros were doing was they were calling down and those signs were being given the sign signals were being given to them and then that manager in the case of the astros alex cora would then tell the players major league baseball in the offseason said we are now going to monitor those calls so Basically, Major League Baseball is almost acknowledging, we think this is still happening, so we need to put into place more regulation. The Astros still continue to do it in 2018. And Major League Baseball even went a step further. They said, and this came out in the report, they issued a statement to the clubs, and they said, quote, to be clear, the use of any equipment in the clubhouse or in the club's replay 
or video rooms to decode an opposing club's signs during the games violates this rec or this regulation. So they go even further. The Astros continue to do it in 2018, at least at the beginning of the season. They weren't banging anymore, but they were still decoding signs and then giving them to players. So if they got on second base, they could relay them in. So in 2019, Major League Baseball had to go even a step further this past season. They actually put a person in every replay room. So that way, person from the league office that was monitoring what was happening. That's the only reason that this actually stops, at least as it's kind of laid out in the report. Right. Which isn't it just astounding that they had to place somebody from the league at every single home major league baseball game this last year. I mean, that's just to me is like the resources for that are yeah. just unbelievable. It's, it, it's almost the, the crazy thing about this is how far the Astros went to continue to do this. And yeah. I think a lot of teams were probably using the replay rooms in early 2017 to decode signs. I think that that's pretty mm -hmm. clear. The Red Sox were caught with it. The Yankees were caught with it. The Astros have been caught with it. There's no way it was only those three teams. Mm -hmm. The brazen thing is that after Major League Baseball says, hey, cut it out, it seems like most of those teams stopped. Now, there's still some investigation in the 2018 Red Sox right now because mm -hmm. Alex Cora moves from the Astros bench coach to the Red Sox manager in 2018, so we're still waiting to see what those reports are that might come out there. But most of the teams seem to stop. The Astros continue, and that Major League Baseball issues again. They continue. They change policies. They continue. They only really stop because, as the players said, they didn't feel like it was working anymore. Mm -hmm. So the report says many of the players who were interviewed admitted that they knew the scheme was wrong because it crossed the line from what the players believed was fair competition and or violated MLB rules. Players stated that if manager A.J. Hinch told them to stop engaging in the conduct, they would have immediately stopped. Which just kills me, by the way. That excuse is unbelievable. Well, I mean, what, you're 25-plus you're years old and you need to be told to do the right thing? or told to stop doing the wrong thing. I'm just... It's the excuse that, you know, I would give to my mom when I was five and I stole a cookie and got caught. Well, if you told me not to do it, I wouldn't have, but no one told me not to. But they are right. admitting one sentence earlier that they knew it was a violation. Right. Exactly. I just, like, I can't get on board with that excuse that gets, keeps yeah. getting used. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the overview of, of what mm -hmm. happened over the last three years. Can you maybe talk a little bit about how this all came out? So classic whistleblower situation. Um, the Athletic dropped an article and it, it sent back in November, and I believe, and it essentially detailed, you know, exactly what we just talked about, how the Astros were electronically stealing signs um, during their 2017 championship season. Uh, what made the article carry so much weight was that a former Astros pitcher and a current Open A's pitcher, Mike Fires went on record with firsthand knowledge of the scheme. So he gave them every bit of information they had, which essentially nailed the coffin into the fact that Major League Baseball couldn't avoid not doing a formal in investigation. Um, you know, he gave clear cut details into the fact that a camera was being positioned in center field. The, the live feed was being put through to a, a TV between the dugout and the clubhouse. Um, you know, he, he went into detail and he stamped his name on it. And that was, like I said, what forced Major League Baseball to, and Rob Manfred to officially look into 
the cheating scandal. And Do we know anything about why he decided to come forward? You know, not definitively, I would say. Um, he's been pretty quiet yeah. since it since it went down. But initially, when it came out back in November, he did mention how, as a pitcher, he felt bad for guys whose careers took big hits mm. from what he believed was a direct reaction from the sign-stealing scandal. You know, it probably doesn't feel great having a ring. I, it, to him, that World Series is clearly tainted, or else he wouldn't have come out. It's an interesting situation you're in as a player having played for this team and one of the things to me again that's so crazy about this scandal there how many players are in the dugout and on a active roster was it 25 yeah so you have 25 players on the team that obviously all know what's going on the reason i say obviously is because they're banging a trash can while at bats (laughs) are going on like it's not something like hey one guy was stealing signs and giving it to Carlos Beltran, who when he got on second, he could signal it in. It's a situation mm-hmm. where it's very obvious in the dugout what's happening. So you have 25 active players, you have a 40-man roster, so you have multiple players coming through the organization in a given year. You have your coaches all knowing what's going on. Your general manager is, uh, says he doesn't, but there is some maybe link to some emails that were going back and forth. So in other words, there's a ton of people that know what's happening. And as soon as any one of those people leave the team, their incentive is still to try to win the games. So if I know that this other team's cheating and I'm playing against them, I'm probably going to tell someone so that way we don't get caught up in their sign stealing. So that way we can change our signs throughout the game to make it harder to detect because I still want to win the game and I know that they're cheating. Right. Almost amazing that it didn't come out sooner. And I think in part is what is what you said. Reports were out there, but until someone was willing to talk on the record about it to Major League Baseball and not just maybe tell the media and have it be anonymous, no one really gave it much credence. But the interesting thing is, like you said, like he is an active player and baseball, for good or bad, has a record of blackballing players that speak out against teammates and players that also are involved in cheating. Right. So he really kind of put himself on the line, which is why I think it's interesting about why he would choose to come out publicly and not just maybe tell his teammates. And and I think he, and I'm sure he did, you know, from the sounds of it, you know, he wasn't the only one in those types of situations. I mean, he wasn't the only guy to leave the Astros after the 2017 season. So, yeah. And the Astros have been called out on this a number of times by multiple teams. So this just to me really came down more so to to the fact that his word wasn't being taken seriously and he had kind of had enough of it. People people knew what they were doing was wrong and so many people fell in line. So many people stayed silent. I mean, all it takes is one person and I guess he felt like he had an obligation to maybe the game. I don't know. The, 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 The crazy thing to me is... So Alex Cora, named all throughout the report, was was basically the coach that was behind what was going on, though the players uh, also mm-hmm. took a massive role. 2018, he leaves the Astros to go to the Red Sox. Red Sox still have a good team that he was going into. He gets there. They go on. They make the um, AL championship, the ALCS, and they're playing the Astros. Cora knows that the Astros are doing this. And the fact that it didn't come out then is a little surprising to me. 
because he yeah. knows that they're at this point, um, according to the report, they're no longer banging trash cans, but they are still stealing signs and relaying those signs in through base runners. There, that's, it actually is it's actually not a surprise to me at all because he would have just completely implicated himself back then. That's true. Had had more come out then, which he clearly was not willing to do. That's, you know, that's, that's true. But I wonder if he's if he said something to other people that were in the organizations with the Red Sox or the other coaches that might have been there, or the players. The fact that maybe it wasn't public, I guess I agree, since he was so involved with it, mm-hmm. he basically would be signing his own death warrant. Right. But it just it's an it's an interesting thing about and this speaks to the culture in professional sports. Something is known in the locker room or something is known around the league. This was this way with steroids. Players knew, managers knew, owners knew. And yet they're able to keep it quiet for extended periods of time, avoid the issue and just let things go on. Um, And it normally takes a player or maybe an owner or manager to finally step out and say like, look, I have firsthand knowledge that this occurred and I want it to stop. And that's the same situation we had in baseball. Really, we don't get the full extent of everything until after Jose Consenco really comes out, which is a former player who had a little bit of a vendetta. But same thing here. We don't really get the full extent until a player comes out, and then all of a sudden the floodgates open. Let's let's move to talk just quickly about the punishments and then get into some of the ethical questions because all this happened, and we've laid out a, a pretty bad case against the Astros that not only were they cheating in 2017, they continued to cheat after baseball told them to stop. They continue in 2018 after Major League Baseball in the offseason changes some of their policy to try to stop this. In 2019, they change it again, and it seems like they stop at that point. Major League Baseball launches an investigation this offseason. They come out with this report. They interviewed 68 witnesses, including 23 current and former Astro players. And the interesting thing to start with, who doesn't get punished? The Major League Baseball chooses not to punish any players. In the report, they lay out the, the reason they didn't punish any players was because it was too hard to discern who was fully involved and who was not. They basically say that it's pretty obvious all players had some knowledge of what was going on and that certain players were more involved, like Carlos Beltran, but it's hard to understand and discern who was the most involved and then to delineate punishments. So they say that that's one of the reasons they choose not to punish the players. And they also say they cho- they're choosing not to punish the players because a number of the players that were on that team are now on different teams. So you're not really punishing the Astros in doing that. You're punishing the new teams. Do you have any thoughts about the decision not to punish the players in this? I mean, it's not ideal, Mm -hmm. but I I do understand it. I mean, I think it'd be hard at this point, two years later, to compromise the investment of other teams and players that may or may not have had a hand. Honestly, it sounds like a lot of the guys that they talked to from the Astros knew what they were doing was wrong. Mm-hmm. So who's to say that just everyone's hands don't start going up and pointing fingers, whether people were involved or not involved. So I think that kind of adds a layer to why Major League Baseball decided, you know, not to, to penalize any of the players. <laughs> One thing Rob Manford did do was actually stick to his word, mm-hmm. you know, back then when he said, I'm not going to, penalized players i'm just gonna come after your gms and your managers Uh, i mean he stuck to his guns on that and 
And that probably at this point was logistically the right move. I know that he left up individual player penalties to teams. Do I think the Astros are going to penalize any of their players? No, but you know, that's, that's kind of where we are. And I think, think that was probably the only way to go about it. Yeah. The the player aspect is super interesting to me because while I understand what he's saying and I agree with everything you're saying, the underlying truth of the matter is major league baseball couldn't punish the players because Mm -hmm. major league baseball player association, which is the strongest players union in sport. And it's not even close. They basically said, if you punish players, we are going to appeal every single one of the cases as they have the right to with any suspension or any penalty players have the right to appeal through the union. They said, we're going to appeal all these and the lengths that you are going to have to go to, to show that each of these players actually did something is going to be extreme. And I think Manford realized that a, that's not a battle he wants to have with the players union, especially when the collective bargaining agreement runs out very soon. But yeah. he, I think he also realized it would be a nightmare from a public relations standpoint because I think he would probably have lost most of those appeals outside of maybe one or two players. And then it looks like baseball can't regulate and control its players. And so I think the PR aspect of it was a really big thing. The interesting thing to me, I think the biggest culprit in the cheating scandal from a player standpoint was Carlos Beltran. And I say that because he's the only player that is mentioned in the entire report. Why would baseball do that? I think they do that specifically to shine a light on the fact that Beltron was involved. Beltron is not a player anymore. He was the coach of the Mets or the manager of the Mets. By putting his name in there, you are basically forcing the Mets into firing him. And that's exactly what happened. So I think everything you said, I think is dead on. I think the players union has a big part of this. And I think Beltron was the biggest culprit and he found a way to punish him kind of in a sneaky backhanded way anyways. Yeah. I mean, and even if, even if uh, Beltron, let's say not the mastermind behind all this, Mm -hmm. he was the easiest fall guy, you know, Um, you could look at it from, from both ways. He was, he was the one that was in that one unique position where he was a player, but now he's a manager um, and a giant stakeholder for, for another major league baseball team, but he was easy to punish. You know, he was the only one that was actually truly easy to punish from a a former player perspective. So, and I, that's not to say I don't, uh, I disagree with the fact that maybe he was the one kind of at the helm of all this, but if, if definitely nothing else, he was, he was the one in that unique spot. Yeah. So we said Beltron ends up losing his job uh, in part for his role mm-hmm. within the cheating scandal. The Red Sox also, quote unquote, parted ways with Alex Cora, who is their general manager, who, again, is one of the individuals named as being a major culprit in this. We still have to wait. Major League Baseball has not issued a punishment for Cora because there's still an investigation into the 2018 Red Sox. My guess is that he's going to have a pretty harsh penalty because both the GM and manager for the Astros got a one-year suspension from baseball. Now, they were promptly fired, but they cannot be hired back into Major League Baseball or do anything in Major League Baseball for one year. Since both of those individuals, uh, the GM said he had no knowledge of it. The manager said he knew about it. 
that he tried to kind of stop it by breaking the monitor they were using to relay the signs from the camera into the clubhouse. They were, he said he didn't approve of it. He didn't know how to stop it. So he just broke the monitor twice and he hoped that would end it. So he had some knowledge, but he wasn't involved in what was actually occurring. They both got a year. Cora, in my estimation, is going to get a much more, a much stricter punishment. He might have a two or three year potential ban from baseball, which would be interesting. The other person that uh, got penalized was the assistant GM of the Astros. Now, he was fired at the end of the season because he made some comments towards a female reporter very publicly. So he was fired, but he cannot be hired back in or work in baseball for one year. The two other penalties, the Astros were fined the maximum amount allowed by Major League Baseball, which is $5 million, which for a billionaire owner, it's a drop in the bucket, but it's the max amount that they could. So I think that's sending some statement, but maybe the most important penalty for the Astros is they lost both their first and second round draft picks for the 2019 and 2020 season. So all of this, Major League Baseball is coming down extremely hard. It, this is the strongest penalty that we've really ever seen issued in Major League Baseball for a cheating scandal. And I think part of that is in large part due to what we talked about in describing a scandal. They came out so many times telling people not to do it, and yet the Astros continue to do it. The owner says that he had no knowledge of it, so he is punished that $5 million, but um, the owner isn't necessarily hit too hard here but that kind of brings us to the the fun part of the conversation which is dealing with some of the ethical questions that come out of this and the reason this scandal as i said is so interesting for sport managers is because it's a example of ethics applied directly to sport and the first question is it's a simple question that may be hard to answer and that is was what the astros were doing is that cheating or was it just part of the game? Um, I mean, for me, without a shadow of a doubt, it's cheating. Yes, stealing signs is part of the game, but that's always been based off of human error. When people are sloppy, like we touched on earlier, tipping pitches, you know, not switching signs. You know, I, and I'm, I guess this is kind of me hitting this twice, but like I said, we're just, it's a different way of capitalizing and gaining a competitive, a competitive advantage. But I draw the line when technology is brought in. Um, I mean, that, and I just don't see any way around that, especially when you look at, you know, numbers, you know, the Astros stats show a clear discrepancy between home and away games from that season. And I, I just think things like that almost just drive home the po point more and more that, the technology gave them a very unfair advantage when it came to playing other teams. An advantage is not part of the game, like human error is. So to, to kind of back up your view of this, if, if I go back to the, the first definition I gave here of what cheating is, you know, within our ethical theory, cheating is an attempt to break the rules of a game while escaping detection and punishment. And if you just go by that definition, it's it's pretty clear. They were obviously breaking yeah. the rules of the game. Major League Baseball said, don't do this. This is a violation. They showed where the line was. They said, sign stealing, as you said, okay. Using electronics to do mm -hmm. it, not okay. So they were clearly right. attempting to break the rules while escaping detection. But I don't think it's that clear of an argument. Because the question we then have to ask is, well, well where is the line about how we can use technology and not? So, for example... With these replay rooms, 
And with technology that we have, players in between at-bats can go back to the locker room and they can watch the at-bat they just had. So let's say that I strike out on five pitches uh, in a game. After that at-bat, I can go back and I can watch that at-bat. Now, it's not in real time, obviously. I'm watching a replay or a video of it. But I'm allowed to go back and use technology to look at that at-bat and say, okay, gosh, I struck out swinging. What was that last pitch that he threw? Or, you know, there are five pitches. Was it, what was the sequence of the pitches? Was it fastball, curveball, fastball, changeup, fastball? We can gain information. As a player, if I understand the tendencies of the pitcher, I can actually use that to my advantage when I play because I can know, okay, well, he never throws two fastballs in a row or he always seems to slow uh, throw a slider when he has two strikes in a count. Whatever it is, I can pick up on that using technology and then I can apply it to my next at bat. So you can make the same argument that that's what a scouting report is. Very true. It's all information that's not in real time. I mean, and if just to um, even draw the line for myself, I don't think that you should be able to do that in between at bats. Mm -hmm. If you want to go back and look at game film, sure. That's, that's a part of every single sport is going back and looking at film, you know, studying a team you're about to play. I mean, gosh, I remember myself sitting before softball games years and years ago, we would sit down two days in advance and go over a scouting report for a team that was, that was, we were about to play, you know, we went and watched them. Yeah. We knew their tendencies. So kind of, I guess by that description, that's exactly what a scouting report is. Where all these tendencies and, you know, things to look out for, but be, to be able to go during the game, mid game and go look at a, and at that you just had, I, I, I just think that's unacceptable in general. You know, I know that's not, in question here, but that's where I think Major League Baseball kind of shoots themselves in the foot a little bit. You know, that's yeah. where they have blurried the line. I don't think they meant to blurry that line, but they just made it easier for everybody to kick the desk up a little bit. To me, this is where it becomes very complicated because baseball has blurried the line by saying you can do it this way, but not this way. And Baseball has made this a really tough situation for themselves. I don't think enough people are talking about this because it seems like most people agree that it's pretty clear cut that what was happening was wrong. But then when you start talking about, well, wait, I can go back and I can look at these pitches and I can learn probably even more information by looking at my last at bat than a player hitting a trash can. And yet we say that that's okay. So I think as with most type of ethical conversations, it's not as clear cut as I think the initial view might have it. I, I do think that Major League Baseball should go back and relook at all of their rules on use of replay because technology is always going to come in now and we're always going to be advancing technology and making it easier on the players to get information more in real time. It just kind of makes me think back to when you were talking about how you know, you can literally download an app on your phone now that yeah. picks up on pitch sequences. You know, I think of like those old Apple commercials, like, oh, you want to feel fun? There's an app for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's just like, yeah, this is always going to come into play. I don't think it blurries the line of whether or not they were cheating. I think it just blurries the line on how Major League Baseball can approach it because they've made it, they've made information and technology so attainable at a moment's notice during the baseball game. It didn't always used to be like that. Gosh, the technology they have now for a pitcher to go back and 
look at every single pitch mm-hmm. for every single second of a game that they just played in is it's unbelievable but that's not always been available and that i don't think the question here is self-improvement altuve whether he was involved or not you know we don't know wasn't going back there and being like wow okay maybe i need to hug the plate a little closer on this guy or maybe you know, I need to sit, take a step back. Maybe I need to wait on this pitch, not swing at the first pitch. I don't really think that's what is the question here. Were these guys using it for the right reasons? They've all admitted, or those that were interviewed anyway, have all admitted what they knew they were doing was wrong. So to me, I don't think that there's any doubt in that. You know, I don't that in that this was cheating. I just think that people had used this technology in different ways, some the right way and some the wrong way. Let me ask another question then. Does it matter if what they were doing was effective or not? Because one of the things that comes out in the report, and I think it's interesting that the that the commissioner's office chose to include this in the report, is they, as I said, they the players said, yes, we recognize that what we were doing was wrong, but they also say, we don't think it actually helped us. So does it sure matter? <laughs> but does it matter if if I'm trying to cheat, but the way that I'm cheating isn't effective, does that make a difference in your perception of what was going on? No, because you were trying to cheat, you know, whether it worked or not, what you were trying to do, maybe, maybe, you know, the means to your end was there, Mm -hmm. whether it was effective or not, I guess is subjective and we may never truthfully know, but you know, you still had a means to an end and that was by going around the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. One of the reasons I bring this up is in ethical theory, one of the things we talked about, is it the actions that matter or the outcome of the actions that matter? So the teleological view of ethics would say that because it wasn't effective, there is no unethical outcome and therefore it's not cheating. The the side that you've taken, which I think a lot of people tend to lean towards is, well, the fact that they were trying to do it, the actions that were being taken, those actions were in themselves unethical. Therefore, what happened was unethical. And we refer to this in ethics as deontological ethics, where we focus on the actions of the individuals over the outcome. So from a pure ethics standpoint, it's not as clear cut as were they cheating? We have to take into consideration whether we're going to take a deontological point of view or a teleological point of view. So they were intentionally trying to break the rules and avoid being punished or being detected. They even go to talk about how they thought that the White Sox had picked up on the scheme. And so they removed the monitor so that way they couldn't come and check it. So they were very clearly trying to avoid detection. But if it's not effective and it's not actually helping, I could make the argument that it doesn't matter. Because, again, if we go back to that central comparative purpose of sports, the goal of sports is to establish who the better athlete is that day, who the better person is at whatever skill set we're testing. If it's not affecting the outcome because it's not effective, then I'm still establishing who the best athlete is that given day. So you could make that argument. Now, to me, it's interesting that the man or the commissioner office puts that in the report because I think they're trying to reassure fans that the product that they're seeing on the field is the actual competitive outcome and that something else didn't go into it. Which leads into another interesting question, and this gets to the organizational side and the management side of this. If you were 
an owner of a major league baseball team. And the initial 2017 statement comes out from baseball that says, hey, this is cheating. You cannot do this. If we catch you doing it, we're going to come down pretty hard. If you're the owner or if you're the general manager of that team, what would you do? But I kind of would send it down maybe even a little further to, to Hinch. Like you said, there's 25 guys sitting in, a, in the dugout. How do they not know this is going on? So I almost kind of put this a little bit more on him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that comes out. You know what's going on. You've broken a TV twice over this. I mean, how you don't impose some kind of like line in the sand, this doesn't happen in here approach to the situation. I mean, I, that's the only thing I could see myself doing from a field manager's perspective. You know, someone like definitely down there that definitely knows what's going on. Definitively, it's hard to say, I guess, but I just, I mean, personally, I'm drawing the line in the sand. Like, you can either be on one side of this, the side where we do things right, or the side where you don't do things right, but you'll pay for it. Yeah. I mean, I've watched that happen at the single A level. You know, I've, I, I've heard those conversations and I just, to me, it's, that's the only way you can go about it. And that's the guy that your players are going to listen to. Well, the interesting thing is the players knew that their manager knew because, mm-hmm. like we said, they're literally hitting trash cans with baseball bats and sometimes they hit a massage gun. And like, it's obvious that the manager is going to know what's going on. Or if he doesn't, at some point he probably said, hey, what are you doing? So, <laughs> But by doing nothing, the act of doing nothing is actually doing a ton because by not stopping it, by not having a hard conversation saying, like you said, we don't do that here, you're actually condoning it. So it's actually... Mm-hmm doing nothing is actually the worst possible thing because what you're doing is saying, I'm going to ignore this. I'm going to turn my back on this and you guys kind of do your own thing. That was the demise of of it all. Yeah. And it it brings into this conversation. Again, we talk about this in ethics, your personal moral and ethics versus kind of professional moral and ethics, because Mm -hmm. it's the same thing with how this all came out within baseball or within the locker room within any professional sport, even within collegiate sport, we have this mentality that what happens here stays here. You know, this is a a safe space. You can say what you want. You can do what you want. There's very loose rules about what's not acceptable. Pretty much almost everything is acceptable within a locker room or a clubhouse. And it takes a lot to go against that mentality. So that'd be kind of the professional ethics, what we view as okay or acceptable within or what's right or wrong within that setting versus your personal which is what you alluded to more. Hey, I, I don't think this is right, so I'm going to go against what the clubhouse culture is. It's a very hard thing to do, especially if you're a player, because like we alluded to, you could worry about losing your job or being blackballed from the game. As you slowly start to work your way up the ladder, though, it becomes easier and easier for you to impose your personal ethics over the professional because you have more and more job security. So a manager, especially a successful manager... The Astros were winning before they were doing this. They were a successful team. A successful manager should have some some job security, so he should feel more comfortable saying, hey, look, we're not going to do this here. Same thing as you go up, an assistant GM, a GM, an owner. An owner really, to me, is where it starts because the owner owns the team. They're not going to fire themselves. Unless they do something unbelievably insane, see the Clippers and what happened with them, they're not going to be forced to sell the team. So they have right. the power to stop it. And what I wonder, and it's not really alluded to at all in this report, is what type of culture was created in the Astros where 
all along the way, no one tried to stop this. Is everyone fearful for their jobs and they're fearful of that violating that locker room culture? It almost seems like we didn't have a super strong leader that was willing to step up and say, look, we're not going to do this here. The report says that the owner said that, this told the manager or the GM, excuse me, hey, make sure we're not doing this. But it seems like that was more of a passing comment than a true directive. I think that's... I, I think it's easy to blame a manager. I think it's easy to blame the players, obviously, but I think it's also important, and this is, I think, why Major League Baseball came out with the penalties it did, in, in blaming the people that oversee everything because they establish the culture. And the baseball culture is oftentimes sign ceilings okay. We have these unwritten rules. Hey, what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. But the person that's overseeing all that needs to make sure that there's that that those things are still happening within the confines of the rules and i think they've just failed to do that they failed to make sure that those rules were being followed because they were also fearful of stepping in and stopping it and and maybe they were afraid this is conjecture but maybe they were afraid that if they stopped it they would stop winning or if they stopped it the players would get upset and maybe go to another teams or which we oftentimes see in sports hey everyone's doing it if everyone's doing it then it's okay. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, just to, again, with the Nike Fires thing, you know, to me, I think that's why he never came out in, in Houston or never said anything more publicly because there probably, there is that job security scare, you know? Um, but I think, I think like we have both kind of alluded to, this was really, really at the end of the day, a top down issue and where nobody said anything everybody like you said saying nothing did more than saying something because it just condoned everything that was going on and, and i mean and and you say you know you made the point it almost sounds like it was a passing comment from crane to lunau and hinge hey make sure we're not cheating you know yeah. but with the amount of times that major league baseball went out of its way to address the situation it just makes me feel like okay hmm if I'm a team, let's say I'm a team that has not been called out in the scandal at all and not even, you know, not even one that's being investigated but called out. You know, the Yankees have been called out. The Dodgers have been called out. Let's say I am, like, the Padres, yeah. you know, and I'm sitting over here and I'm like, wow, okay, this memo came out and, um, okay, and now we're readdressing these rules in the off season, and, oh, gosh, okay, another memo comes out. Man, I, they must have some information that teams are cheating. You know, there's got to be that yeah. inclination somewhere where it's like, okay, maybe you're the owner of the team and you truly don't know this is going on because there are some owners that really don't play a major part in the day-to-day terms, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, it would kind of lead me as an owner to believe that I don't know if it's necessarily going on in my team, but it's going on somewhere in the league. And this sounds pretty serious, so maybe I should inquire down the ladder. And so to, to me, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's hard to believe that Jim Crane had absolutely no idea that it was going on, um, but it, it was it's clearly been addressed by Major League Baseball enough times to say, well, A, maybe we should stop doing this, they're <laughs> on to us, but somebody's doing this. You know, somebody's crossing the line enough. Okay. These conversations occurred, and the fact that it just continued to happen is I think yeah. why baseball is so upset, but the, it brings me to kind of one of the last questions I have for you is what type of changes do you think 
either Major League Baseball or individual teams. Maybe start with individual teams because you can maybe speak a little bit more um, to that based off your experience in minor league baseball. But changes that the teams are going to make to assure that this isn't happening and changes that Major League Baseball might make. Because while they've issued this statement, I have not seen anything definitive about rule changes or policy changes or anything like that that might be occurring. And I mean, I think as a league, they need to get rid of in-game access to replay rooms, get rid of replays. I think that, you know, there's this whole big theme of speeding up baseball so we can attract younger fans. And you want, you know, it doesn't speed up baseball games or replays. I think there's just so many benefits to getting rid of replays, Mm -hmm. getting rid of those, that access to replay rooms and getting, getting real, getting rid of, access to film in, in any way, shape, or form during games would be what the league needs, needs to do. You know, from, from a team standpoint, or I, and I guess this actually, this ties the league and the team hand in hand. I think that, you know, Major League Baseball, the commissioner's office, sent a message to teams with the punishments that they handed down to the Astros. And I'm, and I'm pretty certain they will with Cora as well and the Red Sox when, when that all mm-hmm. uh, surfaces. But, I mean, from a team perspective, I think that every single GM and manager, and I mean, GMs and AGMs that I know, I can't imagine that, you know, they would want to lose their job over something like this. And it kind of, you know, the the irony of it all is that Cora has always been hailed as like an expert sign stealer. Yeah. And he, he has he has that reputation. He's been this, you know, he's always been so great at stealing signs. It's just kind of has made me laugh over the last couple of days that he's been at the core of all this. But I think, I think that the commissioner's office sent a message. And I think that that will it be enough for teams. I don't know, but I don't know anybody that wants to lose their job over something like this. You know, something that the, the the Houston Astros are a talented team without stealing signs. Well, one of my biggest takeaways, or a couple of them are, hey, I wonder how much this actually affects the fandom for baseball. Because there there is a level of complication to the story that I don't think the average fan cares enough to look into. I think a lot of people say they were stealing signs. I thought people did that. It's not a big deal. So yeah. I, I wonder how much it's actually going to affect fandom. I think for the more hardcore fans, it, it, it potentially will, though this is the most baseball in a long time has been talked about in this off season that I can remember. So there's is it, all press is good. Press is an interesting kind of application here. Like um, I do wonder how much legs this will have because the steroids era had legs forever. And it still has legs. We still see some players getting suspended for that. If a player has a great year, oftentimes allegations are thrown at them, especially if they had a bad year the year before or a bad career, and then all of a sudden they have career-type numbers. It's still a lingering thing. And I wonder if this will linger as well, where teams are successful or a team like the Astros has all these great numbers, and now there's a question of, well, do they know what pitch is coming? And is that why? Because I think if it lingers, I actually don't think it's as good for baseball. And I think what happens with the Astros is really going to signify that this year. If they come out and have a really bad season, I think this this story is going to get ramped up again. Even if they have a bad month, opening month of the season, this story is going to get new legs. Because as we said, 2017, they had won a World Series. They had the MVP. 
Altuve has been talked about as one of the best second basemen of this generation, if not the best. If all of a sudden he has a down year, people are going to start wondering, is it all just tainted? And so it'll be interesting to see kind of where the story goes from here and how it continues to evolve. Yeah, I mean, we're, there, people are still going to be talking about it come September. You know, I don't think you're going to be able to listen to a, a visiting team broadcast without this being this coming up in conversation. I, I, it's going to be on the forefront of people's minds all season when they when they talk about the Houston Astros and well, yeah. the sign stealing scandal. I mean, this isn't going away for a while. Is this a good thing for baseball? I think this was a good thing for the off season of baseball because mm-hmm. gosh, we, you know, baseball hasn't had this much relevancy in January in gosh, I really can't remember the last time, Yeah, you know? So the, I think there, the, the storm that it created on the internet, um, you know, I guess you could make the argument that, yeah, maybe it was kind of good for baseball in the off season. It got people excited. Um, you know, we thought what one more football game to go and then it's I've pitchers and catchers report and the countdown to opening day so I mean maybe I don't know I have I'm I'm not personally an all PR is good PR person but I have a hard time I guess speaking directly to this I mean earlier I I used the the term like opening up Pandora's box I think that this could do that and I think it could do this I could think it could open up the box in a very poor way, you know, calling into question, gosh, I mean, the, the Red Sox report isn't out yet. And what if that calls that World Series into question? I mean, it's just yeah. very. And rumors about other teams know. doing it. And, and rumors about other teams. It's, I mean, it's, it gets back. This whole conversation gets back to what is the central purpose of sports? So we said we could call it the, the, Central comparative purpose is to establish who the better athlete is or who the better person is at that skill set. But professional sports is beyond that. Professional sports is entertainment. And I teach this in class all the time. From a manager perspective, what I care about, I don't care. If my team wins or loses, that's great. But we always talk, we can't control that as sport managers. But we can control the entertainment value of what's going on at our stadium or on TV or whatever. For the pure entertainment value, which again, sport is entertainment, this has brought entertainment to the game. It's brought people, like we said, to talk about it in January, to talk about baseball in January, to talk about players, to talk about what could be happening this season. I think it could have an increased interest of people maybe watching the Astros or watching some other teams and having the conversation in that first month. A month where normally the the first couple weeks numbers on viewership are pretty good, but it fall off pretty quick. Primarily because you have March Madness going on and you have uh, NBA playoffs going on. But from a pure entertainment standpoint, I could even argue that this actually might be good. So one of the, the hard things we have as sport managers is we have to balance this notion of sport is entertainment that we are managing and trying to provide to the consumer. Oftentimes, the more entertaining, the more viewers we get, the more fans we get to the games, the more revenue we can generate. But we also have to protect that athletic competition aspect. So understanding how those two things work together and how we can capitalize off entertainment without hurting the athletic competition is sometimes, like in right now, a little bit difficult. And I think that will be an interesting thing to watch how Major League Baseball and teams react because they need to, this story is good for them in a way because it gets viewership and eyes on them. But can they, 
respond to this in a way, and I think they've done a decent job so far, that protects that athletic competition, uh, makes sure that the outcome of the game is true to who is best that day. Because if we start calling too much questions in that outcome, then the entertainment value also suffers. So these two things work hand in hand, and it, this is a really good illustration of that, I think. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, it's been an exhausting two weeks in baseball. <laughs> exhausting, but it's eye-opening to what's going on behind the scenes. Because as yeah. fans, oftentimes, we ignore you know, what's the commissioner office doing? The statements that they're putting out, we don't pay attention to that. We pay attention to what's happening on the field of play. Yeah. Um, from a sport management standpoint, it shines a ton of light onto some of the, the back workings of what's happening and interesting questions that we can kind of assess and put ourselves in those situations and see, do we think this is cheating? Do we not think this is cheating? How would we deal with this if we were in that situation? Yeah. But is there is there any kind of last last thing you can think of uh any, anything we didn't hit on with the topic that you wanted to talk about um i don't think i don't think we're all ever going to be happy about how any of this plays out you know if, even even me from being on the, the business side of things and the potential of i guess the impact of good pr this could have i just i don't think any of anyone's ever going to truly be happy the only person i think might be happy at the end of all of this is Jim Crane because I think he got away scot-free. Yeah, like, like we said, $5 million to a billionaire is nothing. And with that said, I want to thank Sam for coming on and joining me in this conversation today. Hopefully, today you've learned a little bit more, not just about what happened specifically within this scandal in baseball, but also how we can take and apply some ethical theory to it to discuss whether what happened was right or wrong and to talk about how that affects our actions as managers. If you have any questions about this topic or sport ethics in general, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at the sport professor. Follow us as we give updates for upcoming podcasts and show you some behind the scenes of what goes into making our podcasts. Until next time, though, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the sport professor podcast.